Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with DraftKings college football analyst, the host of the Gojo podcast, and former Notre Dame Fighting Irish offensive lineman, Mike Golick Jr. This is the second year in a row we've had the opportunity to chat with Gojo before the season starts. And considering that one of Ohio State's biggest issues coming into the 2023 season is their mishmash offensive line, I thought that it was a perfect opportunity to pick Mike's brain, not only about the specifics of this Ohio State unit, but also what it takes to move around on the offensive line from one side to the other, and how important having time together as a cohesive starting unit is to the level of play once you get on the field when the games start. Mike, as always, had a tremendous amount of insight not only on the offensive line, but on Ohio State as a whole, the Big Ten, and some of the most interesting things around college football. And since his whole family is so closely associated with Notre Dame, we had to talk about Ohio State's week four opponent, the Fighting Irish. And he made some pretty good points about how the things that both Ohio State and Notre Dame are likely concerned about coming into the season match up pretty well against each other. So we will have all of that in our conversation. But before we get to that, As you may know, the Land Grant Podcast Network is part of the Fans First Sports Network. And if you are an NFL fan, the Fans First Sports Network has a contest for you. We are giving away four tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice up to $5,000. And the best part about it is it's It's really easy to enter. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You don't have to like things on social media. You don't have to share things. You don't have to sign away your firstborn just to be entered in a drawing. All you have to do is go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and enter your email address. That's it. All you do, you put your email address, you hit continue, and then you are set. You will officially be registered to win four tickets to any week one NFL game. So what are you waiting for? Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and enter for a chance to see your favorite team in week one. The contest ends on September 4th, so make sure you get all of your entries in before then. All right, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Mike Golick Jr. All right, Mike, I wanna start in your specific area of expertise Ohio State goes into this season perhaps with the biggest question marks on the offensive line. And one of the things that has kind of surprised Ohio State fans throughout this fall camp process is, is that we went into the fall just assuming that Josh Fryer, who was essentially the next man up last year, would be firmly entrenched at left tackle. That appears to no longer be the case as he has moved over to right tackle, which is where he played primarily last season. And San Diego State transfer Josh Simmons is seems to be locking up that left tackle position. Everyone always knows the importance of the blind side left tackle, but as you were kind of bouncing back and forth between the two sides, what are the differences that may or may not lead to a player like Josh Fryer being more comfortable and more productive on the right side versus what he might have been if he'd have moved over to the left? Yeah, I I mean... I think there's something to if you've already got someone with a comfort level and you're not going to be moving them out of a spot. Like I know for Simmons, he played right tackle at San Diego State, if I'm not mistaken, too. So Mm -hmm. one guy was going to be switching over to a guy that they didn't primarily play last season. But I think anytime you can have someone 
you're not upsetting the balance in too many spots, right? It was already going to be new for Josh Simmons coming over here, new scheme, new team, all those things. So if you can keep one guy comfortable, I, I, I'm kind of in favor of that as far as continuity purposes along an O-line where, let's be honest, you're already having to deal with a lack of continuity and turning over from a lot of starters in last season. But uh, I think it was Joe Thomas who might have said the switch from right to left as far as a comfort level there is like if you were wiping your butt with a different hand. Like just biomechanically, it's all different. You got to kind of learn, hey, I'm pushing off a different spot. Uh, you know, my hand placement and which, you know, depending on what my dominant hand is, where those things are going as far as placement out of your stance. I know for me, I was a swing guy and I was a backup for most of my career, which meant I repped in practice at a lot of different spots. But man, at game speed, having to do those things against quality rushers, the likes of which you're going to see, especially against some of the better teams on the schedule, Penn State, Michigan, et cetera, this year, it's definitely a battle. And I think we have had some really talented players over the years. I always joke my former teammate, Zach Martin, switching from left tackle to right guard in the NFL and doing it at an all-pro level really gave people a false sense of security for just how difficult that is. And so I think with Simmons, with how great of an athlete we know he is, there are guys like that who are maybe a little bit more adept at being able to make the switch just because so many of their athletic gifts already translate better to most things but it's always kind of a battle to make that switch because you're retraining your brain and all of your movement patterns you know for live bullets that are really difficult and with a lot of players making those changes the the guards seem to be fairly entrenched with donovan jackson and matt jones who are returning from last year but at those two tackle spots with fryer and simmons and then throwing in a new center with carson hensman we don't really know what's going on at practice but they have not officially been named starters and perhaps they're getting all the the reps with the ones and ryan day just hasn't said it publicly who knows but as we're two weeks out from the first game and ohio state does open with a conference opponent so i think this makes a little bit of a difference in that case how important is getting enough practice time with that cohesive five-man unit to feeling confident going into that first game? Like you said, they're all great athletes, and they're probably going to be able to do well even if they have no time together. But everyone always talks about how important it is for the offensive line to gel, especially when you hit the ground running with a conference foe in week one. Yeah, it's huge. I think the one thing that's become apparent college and pro, especially in the last few seasons, as we've seen more people focusing on analysis of the position is while we don't have a lot of stats uh, for the offensive line position, I think how many snaps you've got on field with a particular unit is always a great indicator at the end of the season, because it is an indicator of one health, which is super important, having your best five on the field for the longest portion of the season, but continuity in the places that shows up are absolutely vital to this unit. Now for them, like you said, having a conference foe out the gate, Certainly, you want to be dialed in for that. But, I mean, in all honesty, Ohio State's schedule shakes out really well for a group that's breaking in a new unit. Yeah. The trip to Notre Dame at the end of September certainly going to be a test for that. But we know for Notre Dame, one of the question marks for them this year is, do they have that same dynamicism? I, I, God, I don't even know if that's a word. Are they as dynamic as pass rusher? this season, losing Isaiah Foskey, who is their leading sacker. So I don't think you're going to get as big a test there maybe early on. It's really about being ready for that home stretch of the season once you hit October of, all right, hosting Penn State, then obviously on the road at Michigan at the end of the year. And so hopefully getting the reps together with that unit by then is huge because it's all about communication. It's the O-line credo is sort of five guys seeing everything as one. I work with the Joe Moore Award and get to vote on that. 
And it's one of the core tenants there. Do you have guys that are all on the same page in how they see defensive fronts, rotations from the linebacker level, from the secondary level, and how good are they at communicating that in the way each guy needs it to be communicated? You know, on a double team, where does the guy next to me show up so often? Like you said, you've got veteran guards, but they're working with tackles and a center on a lot of those combinations for the first time at game speed. And so they're all going to have to learn how to communicate through those things together. We see it happen every year. It's always easier with talented guys, which is why teams like Ohio State, teams like Alabama, teams like Michigan, when they've got turnover in those areas, you know, get a little bit more benefit of the doubt because you're always bringing in dudes. But there's a learning curve that usually shows up in places like passing off games and pass protection. That's usually the one when I'm telling fans watching games, if you want to see the biggest benefit of continuity, it's almost always when you've got D lines twisting and stunting up front because that's equal parts Pat, you know, being able to technically pass it off, knowing what your technique is in those situations, as much as it is recognition of how is the D line aligned? What is our down and distance? All these situations that you just don't have a lot of time under task with yet as a unit at the beginning of the season with that many new guys. And it's extra important for Ohio State fans that the, that the offensive line is solid because they are breaking in a new quarterback, whomever that might be. I know I saw on uh Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it the other day that you weren't really taking a whole lot of stock in the quarterback conversations from either Ryan Day or Nick Saban. Is it just because whoever they put out there is probably going to be pretty good, especially with all the talent around them? Or do you think that they're just overdoing the coach speak? What are your thoughts on both of those quarterback competitions and obviously specifically the one happening in Columbus? Yeah, I, I mean, part of it is just like, man, you've got so many elite talents at every other position around these guys on offense. I mean, Ohio State and Washington are probably going to go back and forth for the title of best skill group on offense. And I think because Washington's dealing with new running back, whereas Ohio State, you've got a deep backfield there, you know, with Travion and Mayan Williams and the receiver room, you know, led by Marvin Harrison Jr., who might be the best non-quarterback in the country and how might still be the best player in the country, yeah. depending on who you're talking about. About especially projecting to the next level. So I just feel like you're pretty insulated. And Ryan Day is a great play caller. We've seen him adapt to different kinds of quarterbacks. And so I, I just think overall, it won't hurt you too bad in general. But it is strange to hear them both talking this way about the quarterback spot. And with Nick Saban, we're always hip to him kind of playing coy. But <laughs> Uh, with Ryan Day in this Ohio State situation, it has a lot more to do with the fact that I just think you have such great skill players in the groups around there that you're you're probably going to be insulated from a lot of trouble. And I know this might be sacrilegious to a lot of Ohio State fans, but like I'm kind of okay with not having a Justin Fields, CJ Stroud level quarterback if it means that they actually involve the running backs a little bit more than they have in recent seasons. You mentioned Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams also throw in Dallin Hayden and a young guy, Evan Pryor, who was has been injured during his time in Columbus so far. Like if that means instead of throwing the ball 50 times, they throw it 42, 43 times and we get a few extra runs like I'm okay with that. Looking at this backfield, obviously all of the potential issues with a, a new offensive line notwithstanding, like spread it out a little bit. I think a lot of Ohio State fans, especially as they look at playing teams like Penn State and, and Michigan, that might actually be something that helps them long term. Yeah, uh, it absolutely will be. And like, listen, if you're scouting specific opponents like that, it is going to be interesting to see what Ohio State can do in the run game against a team like Michigan, because up front, it, it's been a long time since we've had an Ohio State offensive line that's been productive and able to bully people in the run game like those 2014 
2014 teams and the teams in the mid 2000s like that. Like they're great pass protection units, but you just haven't seen teams consistently able to push people around in the run game against high quality opponents. Penn State will be interesting because that D line's a little lighter in the ass. And so it kind of presents a different challenge that might skew a little more in favor of an Ohio State offensive line that in general, when I think of their M.O., in this iteration and the Ryan day, Ohio state teams. And we'll see if, you know, second year under Justin Fry begets a little bit more consistency in some other areas, but it's been incredible athletes that are great dancing bear pass protectors, especially one-on-one and guys that I worry about getting punched in the mouth a little bit in the run game. So that's going to be the challenge for them. Like you said, if this offense has to skew a little more in favor of the run game because of personnel is the O-line in critical moments where it's obvious, where it's the money downs, where everyone in the stadium knows what you're doing. Can you do that? And for me at times, it's hard to get Michigan it's hard to get the Northwestern game out of my head where hey man you knew because of weather or circumstance this is what everyone was expecting Mm -hmm. and it didn't exactly go the way that you wanted it to dancing bear pass protection that's a term I've never heard before (laughs) <laughs> it just it just means big bodies who are really nimble on their feet. You know, everyone getting to know Dewan Jones in the NFL preseason right now. That might be the ultimate dancing bear. Yes. Nothing that big should move that fast is something I have fond of off, often fond of saying. And you mentioned you know, Simmons, especially he's the perfect example of that is he's an incredible athlete, smooth mover. When he gets his paws on guys, it can be a real problem in the passing game. In the run game, I, I looked at a lot of that San Diego State tape and There are flashes, but it needs to be more consistent, especially against high-level competition, physical edge players. Like you're going to see throughout the Big Ten schedule, that's what I'll be curious to see. And that's sort of a proxy for the rest of this group as they turn over some high-caliber guys. Yeah. You mentioned this is the second year for Justin Fry. It is also the second year for new defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. We saw the defense from Ohio State take some steps forward last year, uh, but then trail off in the biggest games of the season against Michigan and Georgia in the playoff. Second year, oftentimes in a new system, we see even more steps forward. It seems like some of the recruiting lows that happened early on the defensive side in Ryan Day's tenure have somewhat been fixed with some, some additional talent coming in through the traditional recruiting and through the transfer portal. As you look at what this Ohio State defense could be in year two under Jim Knowles, do you expect another step forward or do you think that this is kind of where they're at? Is it just going to be the competition in the Big Ten, especially in the Big Ten East, is going to be too much for actually to see tremendous uh, strides? Where are you where are you thinking about this Ohio State defense going into this fall? The front seven, honestly, I'm not super worried about. Like, they got dudes up there. We know up front Jack Sawyer and JT are going to be the guys on the edge. And if you can get more games like the Penn State game from JT consistently there, please, man, do we unlock a different level of talent? Yeah, but, you know, it was – it was a lot of production in one game for a guy that is incredibly talented. We know the pedigree there, you know, uh, Eichenberg and chambers at linebacker. I thought flashed in a lot of really good ways. Both of those dudes were a breath of fresh air at that level. The thing I'm wondering most for this year, because when I think of Jim Knowles defense, I think of honestly, what made Ohio state great for so long, the great Ohio state defensive Mm -hmm. fronts. I remember made chaos around the line of scrimmage. You were all, always worried about them knifing up field at every position they could stretch you that way. And you look at Michael Hall in the interior, like they got guys that can threaten you upfield immediately at the snap. And as an offensive lineman, that was always my biggest concern. The guys that were knifers up the field, not necessarily two gappers, the big plotting bodies, but the guys that could threaten you like that. And Ohio State's got speed at the front level. They've got guys that can do that. 
I'm wondering if the Ohio State secondary gets back to being a unit that's got guys you're afraid of, that's got, you know, DBU caliber NFL guys that are going to go out there consistently. Because quietly to me, that was the part that got under talked about about the Michigan game. I think a lot of people tuned into the end and saw Donovan Edwards shut the door with a long run and knows Michigan's offensive line reputation. But Michigan won that game because they hit big plays in the passing game, which was not really their MO for the entire season either. And so the fact that they were able to do that against Ohio State at a position that for so long was such a given and was so bread and butter under them, that's what I'm waiting to see. You know, I, I think for Ohio State, O-line and secondary are kind of the two positions where you're looking at going, all right, the ceiling of this season will probably be determined, obviously, by quarterback. But I think also those two position groups as well. Yeah, I, I don't think there will be anybody in Buckeye Nation who disagrees at, at all. And we've all got our fingers and toes crossed for the best. Um, but you mentioned... Ohio State, Michigan, and we throw Penn State in there as they seem to have one of the best teams that they've had in recent years. And if you want to get really frisky, I guess we can throw in Luke Fickle's Wisconsin team as well. Michigan, as much as it pains Ohio State fans to say, has clearly been the best team in the Big Ten for the last two seasons. As we go into this season, it's arguable that the Big Ten East is the best division in college football. But as you kind of scout out the Big Ten Conference... How big is the gap between Michigan and Ohio State or even Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State? As we kind of go in, what are the things that we have to worry about as Buckeye fans as to those two main teams that they're going to have to face in the division schedule? Yeah, I, I so I think as far as where the gap is in the Big Ten, and I know this is giving a lot of credit to a unit that's coming together in year one, but if the first couple of years of portal ball have taught us anything with the right coaching quarterback and personnel mix, you can microwave results pretty quickly. See USC, see LSU, see TCU last year. And so I think it's right to kind of throw Wisconsin in the mix. Tanner Mordecai is a dude. He's got some definite value at that position with Phil Longo in an offense that's going to be kind of familiar to him. Um, so I, I think it's right to lump Wisconsin. I think let's put it this way. The gap between four and Wisconsin and the rest of the conference, I think is a lot bigger than the gap between that top three crust of Michigan, Ohio state and Penn state and Wisconsin at this point. Now, as far as, you know, Ohio state and what they're dealing with in Michigan and Penn state specifically, I think for Penn state, it's all going to be about the upside at the quarterback spot there. Like, yeah, they're lighting the acid D line, but they got freaks there. See Bruce Feldman's list where I think three of the guys along their front showed up on that one. Abdul Carter at linebacker gets mixed in with that as well. Like, They can keep up on that side of the ball. Caleb King at defensive back, all that stuff with Manny Diaz that you'd expect with Michigan. It's more about, you know, because, so Penn State is going to be the ceiling created by Drew Alark quarterback, right? You are going from a veteran in Sean Clifford who'd been there for a long time on an offense that's dominated by great running backs there. And then the hope that a quarterback that's a lot more gifted can elevate you beyond where you've been is Penn State, which has been a very good team, but below the Ohio State Michigan line. With Michigan, it's about a team with a really high floor. Defensively, very consistent. They lose some pass rushers this year. Mozzie Smith in the middle, but they're confident in reloading along those spots there. They've got some quality guys in the linebacker and secondary level down the spine of that defense. And then the floor on offense has been really high because the offensive line's been consistent and they've got a lot of good depth that they've also recruited through the portal there in addition to the guys that they're bringing back off a unit that won the Joe Moore Award for the second year in a row. They've got Blake Corum, who I had third on my Heisman ballot last year and I thought was a great player there. Donovan Edwards, a home run hitter. And enough talent at receiver, it's going to be about for them, can J.J. McCarthy take the next step as a passer? And... 
really how much that matters inside the Big Ten is going to be dependent on the Ohio State quarterback situation. So a lot of these things are dependent, but I think Michigan right now has just been so consistent in building their identity to beat this conference. And for Ohio State, for a long time, you had your cake and ate it too. You were an unbelievable tough team on both fronts, offensive and defensively, and you had the skill talent to compete for national championships. You recruited in a different way than the rest of the conference who usually has to build to an identity to beat the teams within there. Michigan zagged. They went back and said, no, we're just going to build bullies on both lines of scrimmage, and then eventually we're going to hope the skill talent and the quarterbacking come to the party in a way that'll get us over that college football playoff hump, that national championship hump. It's going to have to be the O&D lines again that win it for Ohio State if you're going to beat this Michigan team at this juncture and at this point in time. Ohio State is taking on your alma mater for the second year in a row. It is game four for Ohio State, game five for Notre Dame as the Irish kick off their season in week zero over in Ireland, right? Against against Navy. Yep. As Ohio State fans watch specifically that game, because there's nothing else, you know, to 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 really focus on during week zero. Obviously, Navy, even in its best years, is is a different kind of product to to watch if you're trying to to scout coming off of a pretty bad year and Notre Dame doesn't really play any killers in that first month of the season. NC state, you know, being a power five school is, is its own thing. But if, a, if Buckeye fans are going to tune in to Notre Dame games to kind of get a lay of the land before the two teams face off in South bend in, in late September, what do they need to look for? What do, what do we need to watch to say, okay, this is going to be the thing that's going to give Ohio state the biggest trouble when they do end up facing off on September 23rd. Yeah, so I I do think it's an interesting matchup of both teams' kind of questions going into the season end up Mm -hmm. lining up pretty well in the matchup where, all right, you're Ohio State, you're worried about matching up new tackles. Well, Notre Dame's trying to figure out who's going to rush the passer for them. You know, strength on strength, Ohio State's got maybe the best skill group in the country. This might be the the deepest secondary, at least in the cornerback room, Notre Dame's had of going four deep with real dudes at the position headlined by Benjamin Morrison, who was sensational as a freshman last year, great at taking the ball away. And then flip it around to the other side. All right, Ohio State, front seven, good on lockdown there. Notre Dame's got two of the best tackles in football and Blake Fisher and the All-American Joe Alt. And then on the outside, I I think really the biggest thing to watch for Ohio State will be what ends up developing a wide receiver for Notre Dame. Because your whole bet this offseason was you brought over Sam Hartman, who's got all this experience, all this production in the Mm -hmm. ACC, was incredible at Wake Forest. But so far through camp, it's not necessarily been a loud resounding answer about what the wide receiver room strengths are going to look like at this point. And so I'd be curious watching that through the first handful of games for them. You mentioned Navy. Listen, we know one thing that Navy team is going to play stout on defense. They're undersized guys, but schematically, it's not like the offense where you're running something that other people don't see. Navy runs some pretty normal stuff on defense, and they run it really well, creating chaos around the line of scrimmage. NC State defensively, we know their identity. They're losing some strong personnel there, but I would just be curious to see in all of those games, what's this Notre Dame wide receiver core going to do? Because they're going to try and live on the run game. It's an incredibly deep backfield behind Audric Estime in that group. The O-line's expected to be good with Joe Rudolph taking over there for the for uh, Harry Heastan, who retired after last year. So those seem to really be the swing states for Notre Dame. What's the pass rush going to look like? And what does the wide receiver, wide receiver room develop into? And by game five, you should have a pretty clear answer of that if you're Ohio State looking at that matchup. 
Yeah. Another Notre Dame related topic that I know you've shared a few thoughts on here recently, and obviously with everything changing in the college football landscape, it's been something that people have talked about is Notre Dame's independence. I know you said that it's never really been a thing for you other than how much it pisses other people off. Um, oh, yeah. For me, it, it never bother. It doesn't bother me as a, as a native Midwestern, native Ohioan. I just think it would be really cool to have them in the Big Ten because I would love to see all of those matchups. But as you look at everything changing in college football, do you think that the economics of media rights deals and all of that stuff forces them to make a decision in the next year, two, ten years? Is it just going to come down to like how much money the Big Ten and the SEC is able to offer schools and what the gap is between that and what Notre Dame and NBC can come up with? Or, or, or do you think that they're in it for the long haul, no matter what the cost is? Um, no, I think there's definitely a point. I mean, realistically, the whole thing is going to change again within 10 years, yeah, right? Like, course. I don't think I don't think all of the people that enjoy money and consolidation are all of a sudden going to look around <laughs> and go, you know, we feel pretty comfortable with the way things yeah, are yeah. right now, because, you know, stasis has always been a thing in college football, he says sarcastically. So yeah, yeah I think Notre Dame will eventually do it. I would Man, if I had to guess at this point, it'll probably be after like the next round of all this. A lot's going to hinge on. I, 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 and listen, I want to be clear. I don't know any inside information about this. I don't know anything going on. I'd imagine Notre Dame's going to get in a, a deal done with NBC and probably still be competitive. They've always been making a little bit less than the payout of some of the big conferences to maintain independence. But so much of that is also tied into with the expanded playoff. They still got a path to the prize. And depending on how this conversation goes, as now we've had this reorganization since the last time we drew up the rules for the expanded playoff, where you were supposed to have the six highest ranked conference champions make it. And everyone you know, in positions of power rightly looking at that and saying, well, why would we continue to do that when one of the power conferences yeah. just died and we know the other two are a lot weaker than the power two in the Big Ten and the SEC? So maybe if they change some of those rules even more, it continues to benefit Notre Dame where maybe now you're within range of hosting a playoff game if you're ranked highly enough and the conference championship starts to matter less and less. So they've always been about, hey, do we have a path to the prize and are we within range as far as compensation in these television deals? And I don't see that changing in the immediacy here. So I I don't see Notre Dame having a reason to stop having their cake and eating it too. Yeah. And from that perspective, why would you change if you're getting everything that you want out of the situation? Even if you know that you're not necessarily getting all of the millions that a big 10 or sec school get does, as long as you're comfortable with what you're getting in, you're having all that other stuff too. It seems like a pretty good yeah. deal to me. Well, and at this point, I joked with people during this round of realignment, like this is why you wanted us to join a conference. It looks miserable for most of you out here right now. <laughs> Everyone wondering who's going to leave next, who's going to stab another school or conference in the back at this point. Like why not wait until the dust settles for what this is eventually going to be, which is probably some form of a super conference that we've heard rumored for a long time. Yeah. Or taking football out of the NCAA's purview altogether and letting, cause it, it, it makes sense to have, I guess, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington in the Big Ten from a financial football TV perspective, but it makes no sense for like field hockey to have all of those schools in the same conference. It makes no right. sense. So, um, all right. So you are, of course, the Gojo Show as part of the DraftKings Network. You are a college football analyst for DraftKings. So as we look at the college football season, starting with week zero and going all the way into December and then into the bowl season, what do you think are the best bets, whether it's the things that you can go ahead and put money down on, put your mortgage on and like guarantee or some like long shots that people might want to start thinking about as they look at the college football season. 
Shoot, honestly, I'm still going through a lot of that right now, so I, I won't have much for you on that department here. The Ohio State line I was looking at, obviously, in the lead-up to this is super interesting to me at 10.5 on DK Sportsbook right now. And part of me just looking at that, I, I don't want to say it on the Ohio State podcast. No, 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 here, go ahead. Go part, ahead. Part of me looks at the under of that and says, all right, like, Winning 11 games last year with a lot of the skill group that's the same. I know you were dealing with injury that sort of changed the dynamic of that with Jackson Smith and Jigba for the entire season. But you had what I think are going to be better tackles. I mean, these guys might, wow, they're always going to be dudes at Ohio State. But, you know, you had guys that were pretty highly drafted at those spots and pretty talented. You had a quarterback who was one of the best in college football last year. And you've got a schedule that's pretty daunting this year. It's like tough. 10 yeah, wins. Yeah. 10 wins does not seem out of the realm of possibility as far as the under hitting on that. So I, I don't know if I'm ready to necessarily push my money to the pile on it just yet, but I was looking at that under a lot more than I anticipated for an Ohio State team that is seemed pretty Teflon in the CFP era, the way we've seen for Alabama and Georgia and a few of the other halves involved in this equation. Yeah, I think when you've got a team like Notre Dame in the non-conference and then some of your crossovers are Wisconsin and even Purdue in uh, Minnesota, too, like those are, you know, Ohio State will obviously probably be favored, especially against Minnesota and Purdue. But like those are teams that could sneak up on you. So it's not a surprise that even if they are able to split with Michigan or Penn State, if they drop another one, like, of course, everybody in Columbus will lose their minds. But like it shouldn't be too big of a surprise because it is a pretty tough schedule this year. No, it is. It's a it's a pretty brutal one. So so yeah, that one's pretty interesting. Like I know for most of the public, I think there's a lot of fascination too. If we're going to depart the conference for a second and look outward at you know soon to be Big Twelve again, Colorado and that three and a half <laughs> win total there, I, I like it's so hard to predict. I'd probably ultimately end up staying away from it but man if you ask me to go on one side or the other looking at their schedule probably going the under on that too I mean you got 10 scholarship guys from last year's team coming back which I get was not a good team this is not saying oh man you know forgetting the ethics of churning the roster that much and the way that Dion went about it whatever your misgivings with that might be that much volatility without the quality that you're going to be able to bring in the way USC or LSU are able to do, or even, you know, a TCU who I don't think made their living in the portal, but certainly got some production from it. It's just a tough ask for anyone and a total outlier, even early in the sample size of the portal era from what we've seen. And I just, again, against that schedule, starting off as tough as they do with the TCUs of the world on there. I don't know how well I see this going in year one in Boulder for them. Yeah, makes total sense. Well, Mike, I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat about Ohio State and uh, always love everything you've got. And of course, we following along all season for everything on the Gojo Show. So uh, we appreciate it. Enjoy the season. Enjoy. I, are you you're not going to Ireland, are you? Are you going to actually follow the team over there? Or you got you're going to stay and watch at home. Uh, unfortunately, I drew the short straw on that one. So my parents are going. Ah. And because I have some other work obligations that week, I not only get to stay stateside and not enjoy again, because I was on the 2012 team that went over and opened the season there oh, the yeah, last yeah. time Notre Dame played in Ireland. And as you can imagine, with 120 college kids on a football team, <laughs> they put us way out in the country away from all the fun stuff. So I didn't really get to see or do anything in Dublin. We were worried about winning a game. And I got to walk into the lobby every morning and see my parents and all the other people that made the trip bleary eyed from the temple bar <laughs> drinking and carrying on the night before so i am once again jobbed out of a trip over there to actually enjoy dublin and instead i get to dog sit for my parents in south bend so lucky me 
Not cool. That's not doesn't seem fair to me. Does not seem fair at all. Well, either way, at least at least you're going to have some good company with the dogs. I mean, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're very good dogs no matter what. Absolutely. Great dogs. And honestly, they will be good and calming for my nerves heading into week zero, being one of the teams that everyone's going to be watching in that matchup over there in Navy. Despite having gone through and actually had a chance to impact outcomes, I still end up sweating these games out like a fan. So water found <laughs> its level you. post paying career. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mike. Enjoy the season. and Hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again in the future. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant In Conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to the always fantastic Mike Golick Jr. In the show notes, I'll have a link to where you can listen to the Gojo podcast and where you can make your bets at the DraftKings Sportsbook, too. If you like this episode or our podcasts in general, we would love for you to leave a rating and review at your podcast provider of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to us. It would go a really long way to helping us get the word out about what we're doing here at the Land Grant Podcast Network. Throughout the season, we'll be doing two and often three different podcast episodes every single day in order to make sure that you are the most informed and well-rounded Buckeye fan that you can possibly be. You can follow us on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it, at Land Grant Pods. You can follow me at BWW Matt. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.